It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, hey, welcome to episode 25, the Richard Sherman edition of the podcast. He's an all-time Seahawks legend who's still dominant with the 49ers now, though he called his performance in the latest Super Bowl against the Chiefs subpar. Sherman was a fifth-round pick of Seattle back in 2011, and he's been a lockdown cornerback since. And it's funny because in my previous pod, I discussed with David Hearn how people want to hear interesting sound bites from athletes, but once they get the goods, they complain about it. Well, there's no better example of that than when Sherman tipped a pass in the 2013 NFC title game, which led to a game-clinching interception for the Seahawks over the Niners. And then he offered up this classic clip. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. You get real raw emotion from athletes, but then people whine about it right after. And that definitely happened with Sherman. He's played for both my squad and my next guest's favorite football team. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, and now welcome on a very special guest. You know him as the host of the NHL and TSN, Free Agent Frenzy, and Trade Center, along with hosting at the Masters, the Super Bowl, Grey Cup, Olympics, the list goes on and on. He's a three-time Gemini Award winner. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, James Duffy. How you doing? It's an honor to be on the, the star of the Jay and Dan Show's podcast, the <laughs> true star of the Jay and Dan Show. Let's be honest here. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Uh, Cameron Glenn probably was uh, the true star before he retired. He, that, that man is an absolute legend for sure. Yeah, it was like Carson handing it over to Letterman, although then Leno got in the way, so I don't know who your Leno's going to be, but uh, you're both legends in my book. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, you just won your uh, fifth Canadian Screen Award, this one for Best Sports Host for your work on the NHL Free Agent Frenzy. Talk about what kind of honor that is to win that and the uh, countless other awards you've won. Well, I will say, first of all, it's really weird and awkward uh, to win an award in this time. Like, it just... Uh, Hound Dog. So I kind of forgotten they were handing it out. I guess they did the awards online last night on a YouTube show, and so I, I got a congratulations text from one of our bosses, and I, I, I wrote back for what? Because I, I, didn't, <laughs> I, I mean, I just cooked dinner. I'm like, did he? How did he get word that my dinner was so good? Um, but uh, it, you know, so it's it just it's kind of weird that we're handing out awards, and I felt really awkward on Twitter. People were so nice and saying congratulations and everything, and I don't know, with all this going on, it feels strange. But um, it's still, look, it's always nice to be recognized uh, for what you do. Uh, I think it's more of a TSN award, like everything else. God, now I'm sounding like I'm doing an Oscar speech, but it, it is true. Like mm-hmm. the we the free agent frenzy or trade deadline or any of those shows that often get honored with these things. You know that you know full well. There's a million people working behind the scenes to make it look good, and uh, so um, on behalf of TSN, I'm uh, I'm very pleased. But it it is really nice to be to be recognized in the early days. Uh, this is going to sound like a humble brag, but I, I used to get nominated a lot, and I, I would lose to Ron McLean every single year, and to the point where my wife uh, would call it uh, "get dressed up and, and lose to Ron McLean night." Another That's what legend, she called yeah. the the award ceremony. <laughs> so I remember the first time I won, it was, it was very special and it's, it's still nice that you're hanging around after all these years and people think you do okay work. And, uh, I mentioned, uh, free agent frenzy and trade center. What were some of your favorite moments from those shows? Cause they can get wacky. That's for sure. Jeez. Trade center has become a bit of a blur to me. I don't remember what year that things happened in, um, so I could never say, well, back in 2014 or back in 2012 or whatever it may be. Rod Smith is awesome at that. I'm terrible at that. I can't. They all kind of blur into one thing. Right. I remember when one of the Stewart brothers, I think it was Chris, got traded from, um, I think, Buffalo to Minnesota. 
you know, we told him live on the air, like he didn't know you, you, you're doing the show and you're just talking nonstop and a producer gets in your ear and says, Hey, we got a guest. And he comes on and says, Hey, uh, so, uh, Mr. Stewart, you've, uh, um, what do you think of the trade? And he goes, I, I, uh, you guys just call me. I don't know where have I been traded to. <laughs> and that, that was really weird and kind of awkward because you do realize people's lives are affected by these things. But so we told him live on air, he'd been traded to Minnesota I, I kind of like all this, all the goofy stuff we've done over the years. Um, some of it's worked, some of it hasn't worked. But I take, uh, I have a loving embrace for those kind of things. Like, uh, you know, the year we had Gino uh, chasing the llamas around the parking lot, which yeah, yeah it makes no <laughs> sense whatsoever, except that people will forget that there was a there was a llama chase. A llama police chase the week before in like Arizona or something, and so that's what we were making fun of. And the fact that we were able to get llamas in, the fact that you can call a producer at TSN and say, "Do you think you could get a couple of llamas in to run around the parking lot in the studio?" Um, those things bring me great joy. And even we had Trady the mascot a couple of years ago who was um, mocked relentlessly by Jay and Dan, uh, deservedly so. But the thing about Trady, I'd always had this idea in my head of having a mascot that went bad. Right, mascots are these cute, cuddly. Everybody loves them, and yeah, what would it be like if a mascot went bad and was just into like drugs and hookers and <laughs> hanging out in bars till three a.m. And I, I'd always wanted to do some sort of feature on that, and so uh, this sort of let us do Trady, and uh, just the image of Trady and wrestling with Jeff O'Neill over a bagel or something, and O Dog like we O Dog's ass ended up coming out of his pants, and we had to blur his ass on TV and. <laughs> Like I think only about probably twenty percent of people found Trady funny, but I always like the bits that only um, you know a small percentage of people really enjoy. <laughs> and if everybody else says that was the stupidest thing ever, I call that a small victory. So little idiotic things like that, I always have uh, I have a great fondness for, and I probably remember those things more than the big trades and the big signings. The uh, I especially love when you shot the cannon or yeah, Jennifer Hedger. Chad, come in. That might have been actually Hound Dog. That probably might have been our most successful year for doing stupid bits. Uh, and the idea of that year was just to do what it was like during TV timeouts in a uh, in an arena where they do the kiss cam and all those stupid things. And so that was the year we got we had the, we had the, uh, the the cannon in. And funny story there. So I was the one shooting it all day. And I can't remember, I guess it was MLSC, uh, the team that owns the Leafs and the, the organization that owns the Leafs and the Raptors that gave us the cannon. And they gave me strict orders on how to do it. Like, the, literally, the cannon has like about six levels, right? And I guess the sixth level, you know, is the one that you use to shoot it up into the highest, highest deck of the Raptors to shoot t shirts up there. And they had told me, do not put it above three. Like, do it on one or two, and that'll shoot the shirt, you know, across the studio 10 yards. And, uh, that'll be fine. And so I was goofing around with Marty and I, I, I put the cannon on six and, um, I don't know why that was just a really dumb thing to do. <laughs> and then Marty fires and it hits poor edge right in the abdomen. So, uh, those are the things you just can't predict and they kind of make trade center fun, even though it's painful for many hours. I, I, I love trade center. Even as a kid, it was, it's my favorite, even before I even started working at TSM, but just because of the potential that there could be a big deal, most years there often isn't, but just the fact that there might be some big uh, trade, you know, that, that shocks everyone sort of like Ryan Smith years ago. Mm-hmm. I love that day so much. It's, it's just so much fun. Yeah, and I mean, most recently, I think that uh, Eric Carlson was that two years ago where uh, 
that was what we talked about. And I often say, you know, people mock Trade Center. We have fun with it, how uh, nothing ever happens. Although this year we actually had a ton of trades. The last couple of years have been fairly busy. But it really, it's really not about the trades. It's about, like you say, the potential. So people are watching for the potential for their team to have something big happen. Um, and, you know, two years ago, Eric Carlson was coming off a year where he was uh, the best, uh, you know, right there in the conversation for the best player in the world, the way he played in the playoffs when Ottawa came one goal away from the Stanley Cup final. And now, you know, a year or so later, he's uh, on the trading block, which just seemed crazy. Um, but just to, ha- to have that dangling carrot there, I think, is what makes people watch more than anything else. And even though a lot of the trades and a lot of the names don't end up going anywhere, it's that possibility that keeps people watching. And, uh, you know, it's fun. I hated it for a few years, really, because it, it is a really long, painful day. And you are twiddling your thumbs a little bit for sometimes five, six hours. But I've come to embrace it now. It's just a chance. It's the one day a year where everybody, all our hockey analysts are kind of in the studio at once. And, uh, you know, if you can just sit there and listen to Ferraro and O'Dog and Pooley and these guys and Noodles, uh, uh, Craig Button talk, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Now, uh do you have a, a particular most embarrassing moment that happened to you uh, broadcasting that uh, sticks out? You know, I've been asked this question a lot, and I'm sure, like, I, I do. I certainly have things that I've done that are stupid, but I don't have one, like, horrendous, unbelievable, at least I don't in the era of, uh, you know, Twitter and stuff that it would be uh, it would be out there forever. I, I have little things. Um, you know, dumb lines you say, the story I always tell, I think I told it in my book, uh, sometimes when you're tired and, you know, we don't, you don't use a teleprompter in our studio and so you'll say things that uh, aren't necessarily appropriate. One of the, when we used to do the playoffs, when we had the national rights, you would be exhausted, uh, by about the third week of, of the playoffs because you're in there for about 12 hours a day in the studio and you start to get a little bit loopy. And I think it was, I was doing a highlight package um, of a Rangers Capitals game. So this is way back in the day. Uh, Rick Nash and the, with the Rangers, I believe. Uh, what was he at that point? No, Rick was still in Columbus. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Brooks Like was the player he played for the Capitals at the time. And uh, he did like a, a one handed sort of wraparound goal. He uh, fended a guy off. And, uh, and, you know, the highlight script that is given to me just had the basics of, okay, second period, two to one, uh, Rangers, Brooks like, uh, does a wraparound scores. And the rest is you ad lib. And I was tired and I had the unfortunate phrasing to say, uh, okay, second period now, uh, Capitals even things up. Here's Brooks like, look at Brooks like, he's beating a man off with one arm. <laughs> And uh, as soon as I said it, I knew right right away. And I look over, and Darren Darren Pang and Bob McKenzie were on the panel, and they were just they started losing it, right? And I still had about a two minute highlight pack. I think I had two other games to do, and I started giggling and couldn't stop giggling. And I was just gone for basically two minutes of video. All you could hear was giggling, and it's so stupid and so infantile, right? But that's guys, and that's the way it is. And. Uh, uh, so, uh, those are the moments I laugh at, you know, Gino Retta has the most famous one. You've probably heard this from your time at TSN. I was when, just going to uh, bring this up. Yep. <laughs> though, I might, yeah, I can mention this one on your pod, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, I think the 2013 world juniors, Gino used to host it before I did. And, uh, 
Uh, we come just for your listeners that aren't familiar with TV. Uh, we have these, you know, coming out of break. Sometimes you have these things called bumper shots or hero shots uh, that basically bring you back to the panel. And uh, in this case, it was a shot of Brendan Bell who was playing for Team Canada, and it was a low angle shot of the boards. And Brendan Bell basically skates right into the camera and hits a guy or something. And uh, Gino comes out of break and says, um, oh, "Welcome back to the World Juniors on TSN." There's Brendan Bell coming in your face all night long. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know about the all night long part. I just knew about the. the, the that's even better. Coming now. in your face all <laughs> night long. So uh, yeah, but again, like it's really juvenile uh, stuff. But it's sometimes you need to laugh at yourselves, and uh, those are the things that come out. <laughs> that's that's incredible. I've always wondered about this. Uh, these moments certainly would be few and far between for you, a professional broadcaster. But uh, when you have a, a night where you just don't have it that night. Uh, what do you do to shake that off? There, there must be times where you're like, I just don't. I, no one else will probably have any clue that you don't have it. Right. But uh, what do you do to, get to shake that off? Mostly just self-loathing. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is that is the one thing I'll say. Look, we are very fortunate to have super uh, great jobs, and I, I, I still am, uh, just consider myself ridiculously lucky to do what I do every single night. But I would say the one the one tough thing about our job is that when you do have a bad night. You know, the average the average person, I guess, working uh, in an office or a cubicle, whatever, you have a bad day or you're not feeling well or you're hungover or something like that, and basically you keep to yourself and, and you can get through the day and you're the only one that knows it, maybe the person sitting next to you or your friend. But if, if we have a really bad day, basically everybody knows it, right? A million people watching at home could know it. And I've certainly had those times. There's just times that you're not, your focus isn't there and uh, maybe you're out of rhythm a little bit. Uh, and I, yeah, I've, I've definitely had them. I, I don't know. I think that what often happens is you get, your brain gets a little bit lazy. You know, if I'm doing leaf games, which I do all the time or, uh, NHL games and you get into a routine of doing the same thing and then suddenly you have a bad night and you screw up a few times and it's, it, it's kind of an instant body wake up call. It's kind of like on the golf course where you hit a shank, right? Mm-hmm. And you go, Oh, Okay all right, okay, that's going to wake up my entire system. And I think that's what it's like in broadcasting. If you make a couple of mistakes, I suddenly go, okay, this is, I've, you know, I've been being too lazy here. Um, you know, my mind's elsewhere and I got to focus. And usually you can bring yourself back that way, I would say. Which athlete were you most nervous uh, to interview? Hmm. That's an awesome question. I think early on in my career, probably everybody, I think I was, uh, in general, a fairly nervous person when I was young, and I was also a perfectionist. And so I wanted everything to go perfectly, which I've, you know, I've come to realize that doesn't happen in television. And I think, you know, whenever in my career that I realized that, it probably really helped me because I wanted, you know, every show to be perfect. And uh, I can remember when I did SportsCenter in the early days at TSN, my first you know, summer or so, and if I'd ever make one of those mistakes that we were just talking about, like I'd make a stupid mistake and read a wrong highlight or something, I would like beat myself up all the way home in the car, basically yelling at myself, you're an idiot. <laughs> and I, I've, you know, I got, I think experience and everything else teaches you along the way that those things tend to uh, roll off you a little bit better when you get more experience. But uh, I mean, I can remember in when I, I was a news reporter in the early days and got to interview a couple of prime ministers when I was like 23, 24 years old, and I was super nervous for those things. As for athletes, um, I think the nerves went away, you know, fairly fast after a couple of years at TSN. But I'll tell you one: the one, I was a big San Francisco 49er fan, 
And Ronnie Lott was my, if you were to ask me my all-time favorite athletes, I would probably say Tim Raines, Ronnie Lott. Um, Hound Dog Harrison. Hound Dog Harrison, as, as far as golf goes. <laughs> uh, but those two guys probably stand above everybody. Um, and so Ronnie Lott, my, I guess my first year at TSN, maybe my second year, and Ronnie Lott is retired now. He is a former great safety for the 49ers, if any of your listeners are too young to uh, to know who Ronnie was, just an, uh, one of the greatest hitters of all time in football. And he came through doing a tour, and I got to interview him. And I was sitting there interviewing him, and this is the old days in our old building, and somebody was like working on the next floor jackhammering. And so we had to stop the interview about five times. And I could see Ronnie getting frustrated. It's probably his 20th interview of the day. And we, you know, here's this little punk interviewing him, and every 30 seconds we have to stop because of this jackhammer. Stop the hammering. Stop the hammering out there. Who's got a hammer? Where is it? And he was, he was nice about it, but he, I could see him getting a little bit agitated, and I was getting agitated. And I'm like, man, this is, this is my idol. I was wide-eyed, and this interview is a disaster. And so I could feel my pulse rate going up and up and up and up and up. But thankfully, he was a gentleman, and we got through it. But that's the one that sort of sticks out in my mind. I, I think I've been around, you know, even when I got to interview, like, the Gretzkys and, and the Crosbys and the Tiger Woods of the world that I, I'd already been around enough to realize that, you know, they were just ordinary guys and I was doing my job more than anything else. Uh, we mentioned some of these names earlier. Uh, I just want to give like a you know, one word uh, answer to these names and see what you think about them. First off, I'll start with uh, Darren Detition. <laughs> Massive arms and, and also a very big heart. Uh, <laughs> I, when I, uh, I will always, the thing I'll always remember about Dutchie, we did sports center together. People don't remember for about a year and a half. And I was going through a, a difficult time, uh, with a sickness in the family at the time. And he was such a good friend during those things I'll, that I'll never forget. Everybody thinks about Dutchie as the big bombastic guy, but also a big massive heart. Absolutely. Uh, what about Rod Smith, the legend? Uh, one of the single greatest humans I've ever met, probably. Uh, again, people don't remember, but I did. When I started at TSN, and uh, I did football for a couple of years in basketball, and then I got on the, on Sports Center, and I had about a year and a half with uh, Dutchie and, uh, and a year and a half with Roddy and some of my favorite times. Roddy was the greatest straight man ever because I was always doing my lame jokes and shtick, and he would laugh, and sometimes he would laugh. I, you know when you're doing Sports Center or the Jay and Dan show, once in a while, some guy will you be doing his highlights, and you're you're getting ready to do your highlights, so you're not really paying attention to what the guy's saying. Mm-hmm. And so, I think Rod got you so used to my cadence of trying to tell jokes all the time in my highlights that he would laugh like Ed McMahon, like all the time. Sometimes I wouldn't even say anything funny, <laughs> and I'd be like, "Ah!" Eh, and in the in the seventh inning, here's a whole run by Robbie Alomar, and Rod'd be like. <laughs> Like Rod, Rod, I didn't even didn't I didn't even tell a joke there, but he was just such a good guy that way, and 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 still is the franchise. Yeah, what about uh, O Dog? Oh gosh, one of the greatest characters I've ever met in the game. Um, just a guy who has a million stories. One of the favorite thing, you know, in the playoffs, we sit around Hound Dog and watch the games and do panels sort of after the games. Now that we don't do the games during the playoffs. And so we're sitting around sometimes for three, four hours, just like everybody is sitting at home. And Odog just has so many stories, a lot of them not repeatable on podcasts or television, but just a, just an unbelievable, unbelievable character. One of my favorites. I've always said if, uh, if he wrote a book, it would probably have to be one of those 
you know, the fake books like they did on Tiger Woods where you change all the names, but man, it would be an entertaining book. <laughs> and uh, of course, the hugely famous moment from, uh, I believe it was Trade Center, Jeff O'Neill with the ketchup. That was definitely uh, something uh, again, that uh, will go down the And here, really quickly on that, Hound Dog, you think about the magic that had to happen to make that happen. <laughs> so, O'Dog, we had just been handed these Harvey's hamburgers, and I was just about to do a hit with Brent Wallace. And so I, I'm like, okay, Brent Wallace joins us now from Ottawa. And when you ask a guy a question over satellite, there might be a fraction of a second delay before he starts talking. And in the fraction of a second that I stopped talking and before Brent started talking, in that perfect moment, the audio guy somehow left Jeff's mic up. We want to get Brent's feedback. He covers the Senators on a regular day on the Curtis Lazar trade to Calgary. Brent. Is there ketchup on that? And he said, yeah, and he, and he says, is there ketchup on that? I mean, all the, the forces and the constellations that had to come together for that little piece of audio to come out was just amazing. Oh, yeah, a spectacular moment without question. Uh, lastly, for the, for the names, what about Jay and Dan, package deal? I don't, I don't want to talk about them. I don't like them. Yeah, that's, that's, no. that's your point. Uh, <laughs> two, of my better, two of my best friends at TSN, um, what they do every night, I think, on your show uh, is... The, the thing that I always say about those two is they're fearless. To be, really, to be really, really funny, you have to be fearless. And I would say that I'm probably not fearless. I, I will be in some circumstances, but not myself. I'm too worried about still trying to be you know, a dignified host when I'm hosting the Masters or whatever. So I'll, I'll, I'll occasionally walk the line but never cross it. And I think those guys cross the line, and that's, I say that in the most complimentary way, <laughs> that... Uh, that that's what you have. You have to be able to take chances and make yourself look really dumb at times. And I think that's the, you know, that's, they're, they're completely fearless in what they do. And I think that's why they've been such a massive success. Oh, they're, they're awesome. Uh, serious question. Uh, is the evil quiz master actually Larry David? <laughs> it, uh, I'm convinced most of the time it is. Um, the evil quiz master uh, is a guy named Steve Dryden for your listeners who looks exactly like Larry David and has almost, he's not as funny as Larry David, uh, but he has all the same quirky features as Larry David, and it's uncanny at times. Uh, if he grew his hair a little bit more out in the back like Larry, it would be, it would be bang spot on. But I will say this, he gets a lot of uh, grief from myself and Bob McKenzie and such, but he is kind of the backbone of, uh, of what we do. He does a lot of work, so we don't have to do the work. Yep, man, I love the fact that he uh, calls me Ringo, which is so, so random. Whenever I see him, uh, it was years ago, he wanted to, he's like, oh, you don't look like, you don't look like a Michael. Uh, so I said my last name, and he goes, uh, oh, uh, yeah, uh, Paul, uh, okay, I'll call you Paul, because I got that nickname from, uh, my middle name from Paul McCartney. And I'm like, no, 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 there's, there's another Paul who works on our show. I don't, I don't want to, to, for there to be any confusion. You know, my last name's Harrison. I say, oh, why don't you call me George, George Harrison? No, nah, no, nah, you don't look, look like a George. So he goes, okay, you're Ringo. And for whatever reason, for the last like five plus years, whenever he sees me, what's up, Ringo? He's the only person in the world that uh, calls me. That's uh, so random. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, we were talking about golf earlier. Uh, thoughts on the Tiger Phil Brady Manning match? Uh, that was a really, really riveting television, in, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, you and I were texting that day. It, uh, I. I was, I was really intrigued by it, but I really wasn't sure. Uh, you know, Tiger, uh, although I admire his golf like crazy, isn't always the greatest personality. And the first Tiger Phil thing was kind of a dud, mm -hmm. which I sat through the entire five hours. Uh, but 
I was, and in the first 15 minutes or so, the rain's coming down and Brady has that duck hook off the first tee and you're going, oh, this could be, this could be a disaster, he right? But in, on. But instead, it, it kind of went the other way. Like you said, it was, it was fascinating. Uh, you know, Phil's great on the mic. Peyton's great on the mic. Tiger was just playing great, which was fun to watch. And, you know, there was a little more tr- trash talk. But watching Brady struggle... I just think it was so fascinating when you've seen a guy who is the goat and suddenly he's in an element where he's lost. And, and I, I, I've been there before. Uh, and, you know, you, we've all been there in golf where you develop some little hitch in your swing. And no matter what your handicap is, you could go from a 10 to a 24 for a round or from a 5 to a 15 or whatever it may be. And you can't fix it and you can't figure out what's wrong. And, and for that to happen when you're the greatest quarterback who's ever played and you're playing in front of millions and millions of people and you're playing with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, I just can't imagine what was going on in his head. And I, so I, I kind of felt for him, but it was, it was very humanizing to watch a guy struggle like that. I don't think there's, I don't think he's an eight handicap. Now, having said that, I think a lot of, he's not a duffer either. I think that, I think people cannot um, underestimate what TV cameras and, and rain and those situations can do to you as a golfer. You hit a couple of bad shots, you start to doubt and question everything, and suddenly you're a mess. And um, I haven't been in a ton of pressure situations, but I'll tell you a quick story. I was I got to play in the Canadian Open Pro Am uh, about probably five years ago now, and I was playing with two NHL players and another pro uh, whose name is going to escape me now. Who's the guy who plays with no hat? Uh, kid from Georgia. Um, anyway. Holly uh, Schneider James? Holly Schneider James, thank you. So w- that was our group. And on the fir- I get to the first tee. First of all, you're on the range. I had Retief Goosen on one side of me, and uh, heck, who was on the other side? Like VJ or somebody. And you're sitting there. I'm, there. I'm right between them. I'm just trying not to, you know, duff off on the, on the practice range. So I was hitting them okay. But then you walk to the first tee, and there was probably 300 people there. And they announce you and everything. And the first three, Cal Clutterbuck is an awesome player. He was in our, my group. Connor, like he's a scratch. Connor Brown's like a two. And Ollie's awesome. So they all step up and completely nail their drives. And so I'm the fourth guy to go. And my hand was shaking so much. I, could, I remember I couldn't get the tee in the ground. I could talk on TV in front of 10 million people. But, you know, put, put yourself in a golf situation where you're not 100% comfortable and there's a few hundred people there. And I was just so nervous. Um, and I just didn't want to, you know, just don't duff or just hit a horrible shot. And I finally got the ball teed up and I hit a pretty good tee shot, but, um, just the nerves there, that's what sent me back to, uh, to, to Brady and, uh, just how south it can go. And I was happy for the guy that he hit some pretty good shots on the back nine to hold that, hold that one wedge. But, uh, it was, it was, it was really fascinating TV and I hope we get to see it again. Well, I would love to. I think the with the, the success of that, we'll see it again. Definitely. Uh, how how nervous were you when you golfed uh, at Augusta National? What was it like? Yeah. What's uh, what'd you shoot? And, uh, how was it? Sorry, day? I got my stupid family here uh, cleaning <laughs> up the house, and so I sometimes the noise is a little muffled. Um, so I shot ninety two at Augusta National, and I was very disappointed in that because I actually hit the ball really well, um, but I could not putt. Um, the greens are super fast, like everybody says, but I didn't find them. They're so true 
but it didn't really bother me. I and we have a caddy who gives you the reads, uh, and you you need them desperately. Like on the first hole, I lined up one way, and he's like, "No, it's about 180 degrees this way." <laughs> um, but once I like, he was giving me great reads, and I was just I would put every putt like nine feet by the hole, just touch it, and then I just missed every single comebacker. And I had a I had a nine or a ten on ten. I hit it into a gorse bush, which you don't even see on TV because nobody hits it in there. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, might, I could have been much better because uh, it's a very playable golf course. That's the one thing. You play off the, uh, profe- the, off the uh, club tees, which are, you know, they were the tees the Tiger won off of in 1997. But now that the technology in the last 20 years, on some holes, it's 20 yards back. On some holes, like 11, for instance, I think it was 140 yards back from where we teed off, where the pros tee off. So it's a very playable golf course. The fairways are wider. It's an immaculate shape. But I think you just find that the greens, you have little tiny spots. We were playing Sunday pins. And if you miss the, uh, if you miss your spot, it'll roll away like 40 feet. And so that's what I, I, on every green, I had like a 40 footer and would, would miss and then bogey or, or if I had chipped on double bogey, whatever that may be. So, uh, but it was so enjoyable. Fastest round, Bob Weeks had warned me it would be the fastest round of my life. And it was because you just, you're enjoying it so much. It felt like it was over in an hour and a half. Man, hopefully one day I'll qualify for the masters and get to play that course. That would be, straight. <laughs> be amazing. A couple of interview you in the slip interview you in our, in our little cabin next to, uh, <laughs> The par three after a, you slip on the green jacket. For the fifth straight year. Uh, a couple last questions before I get you out here, uh, James. I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about hockey, uh, the 24 team playoff uh, play in. What, what are your thoughts uh, on that and uh, hockey coming back? Uh, I, I think it's too many teams um, in general, but I will say this I've sort of come around to it in the idea that. If you if you look at you know Twitter and all their reactions to these plans, everybody's like, this is not fair to blank. And every plan you could make, you could say this is not fair to blank or this is not fair to blank. And there's never, there's just never going to be a perfect plan in the situation we're in right now. So I've come around to the fact that, okay, they need to make some money. And so let's get, if they can pull this off and if the testing comes up to par and we can, I, I still think the logistics are a real big challenge right now, but if they can pull it off and we can get two months of fun hockey, then the more the merrier. I just, I just don't think there is any sort of perfect plan. So I've sort of begrudgingly accepted it. And, you know, once I get back, I'll, I'll be like everybody else, really looking forward to seeing it happen. But like I said, I just really want to see how they're going to overcome all the obstacles they have to get testing wise and, and such to, to make this a reality. Um, but I, I really hope they do. I hope for our business. I hope for the hockey business. I hope for all the fans. Now, on your Rubber Boots podcast, you guys like to do Puffy's hypotheticals. I have one mm-hmm. here for you. Which fight would you rather see more, Dutchy versus the O-Dog or Ray Ferraro versus the Quizmaster? Well, Ray Ferraro versus the Quizmaster would be over in seven seconds probably because Ray, Ray's anger, I don't, which doesn't show up very often. He's a very mellowed out, wonderful guy, but uh, I don't think the Quizmaster could contain him in any way. Uh, the Quizmaster is also a pacifist who uh, hates fighting, so he would probably just turtle in a heartbeat. Um, so that one wouldn't last very long. It would be like the UFC fight that's <laughs> yeah. over in one punch. Uh, O-Dog versus Dutchy. I'm afraid for O-Dog it would kind of go the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, uh, 
Touchy would, uh, you know, probably put him in some sort of sleeper hold within 30 seconds and it would be all over. Zodog talks a good game. You know, he played in the NHL and all this, but I don't know that when it comes to fighting that he'd have much of a shot. But, you know, if they're both on a pay-per-view undercard or something, I'd like to see O'Toole versus Onright. I, I, you know, they've been friends for such a long time, but I don't know. I don't know who I'd go for there. Well, on this podcast, uh, O'Toole said he never has uh, had an argument with uh, Onright, so that would uh, make the fight even more uh, much anticipated. Well, that's what I mean. If we could make, if you maybe, as someone who works on that show on a daily basis, could um, falsify something to to come between them that would lead to fisticuffs, then I'd be on board for watching that. (laughs) That'd be incredible. Uh, You brought up your book earlier. Uh, Plug. uh, Have you written three books or, or, or four? Uh, I have written three books, thank you, and I have just written a fourth, which is out in the fall. Um, shameless plug to end your podcast, but it's called Beauties and uh, Hockey's Greatest Untold Stories. I basically went to about 50 different guys, legends, some just legendary characters like the O-Dog, uh, and said, uh, tell me your favorite hockey story, and basically that's what it is, and uh, I think you're going to like it. It's uh, it's just a lot of fun stories from off the ice and uh, um, from some of the either biggest names in the games and greatest characters in the game. So it was a lot of fun to write. That sounds great. I'll just say, James, I'm so thankful. I showed you a picture of this earlier today. Uh, I texted it to you. When I was at Niagara College uh, back in 2005, I had to shadow someone from a newsroom, and you were show, so gracious to show me around. I was totally, I was like a kid in a, in a candy store. You are amazing and made it, made it very clear what I already knew anyway, was that I wanted to work for TSN, and here we are 15 years later. Oh, man, that's uh, that's so nice of you to say, and uh, uh, you, you sent me that pic, and man, we both look so damn young, then. but uh, <laughs> I'm so glad you're still here, and they've made you into a TV star. Your bits always make me howl on Jay and Dan, and uh, I'm, I'm a faithful viewer of the show, so uh, keep up the good work, and as much as I mock those clowns, they do damn good work as well, so uh, all the best, buddy. Thank you. Thank you for uh, being on the podcast. appreciate it. That was fantastic talking to James Duffy. He's such a gentleman, and a story about his most embarrassing moment where he accidentally said Brooks Like was beating a guy off, made me howl. That Gio Renner classic story was amazing. Also, there's a reason James has won so many awards and he's held in such high esteem by everyone. No, I'm not just saying that because he's on this podcast. Though I do wonder if perhaps this was the highlight of his career. I, I, should, I should have asked him that. It's the worst when you think of questions you should have asked someone after doing an interview. Thank you so much for listening to episode 25 of the H-Dog Pod. Bang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with host Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Stop the hammering. Is there ketchup on that?